podcast starts. Listeners, welcome. If this is your first time listening to the show, and if you've heard us before, welcome back. And thanks for sticking with us. This show talks about horror. Horror in film, TV, other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about, just because that's who we are. Our discussions aim to be fun, intelligent, and hopefully useful if your interest in horror texts comes from a creative or academic perspective. But be warned, we do tend to swear occasionally, and if it's anything less offensive than the C word, it won't get bleeped. So, if you are still able to go into your place of work, we may not be safe for it. In this episode, we're going to be talking about something timely that hopefully soon won't be as timely. We're going to be talking about pandemic-focused horror, specifically the 1970s British television series Survivors and Steven Soderbergh's American film from 2011, Contagion. I am T.D. Velasquez. As always, you can call me Dan. I'm in Greater Manchester and I have the great pleasure of being joined by two colleagues. Firstly, Stella. Hello. 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 All... I don't know why I said it like that. Hello. It's all <laughs> cool. You're very welcome. <laughs> I think he was watching the 1970s Survivors because everyone, everyone was talking like that in, in that sort of received pronunciation. So it's, it's sunk in a little bit. I'll make it go away. That's true. That's <laughs> very true. It does. Uh, I, I think I might actually watch. I need to watch even more of it. The, because I need to stop mumbling. Um, Stella's in Greater Manchester. Well, for me, Stella, the weather's been very nice today. I hope it has for you. Yeah, man. And my daughter came home from school and demanded an ice lolly. So, wow. you know, right. that definitely tells us that the season is changing because she's burst through the door and demands cold things <laughs> immediately. Wow. And we are also joined by Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello. I've got a cat on me, as you can see, but the listeners can't. <laughs> alone. So, listeners, if you can hear, if you can either hear me scream, it's because he's dug his claws in like he does, or if you can hear him purring, that's not me purring, that's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could purr. Ow. Right, I'm <laughs> Oh, dear. It all went wrong. How's the, weather in, how's the weather been in Cheshire, Ian, just for our regular update? I refuse to talk about the weather, but um, <laughs> it's it's been very sunny, and it was nice, oh. and I've been sat in front of a computer all day, which has been even nicer. Wow! Because I've been really <laughs> enjoying having kids at school and having my God, when you when you it's great, isn't it? If you're a writer <laughs> and you like ever get sick of your job, homeschool kid, homeschool some children and have to write at six in the morning before they wake up, and then suddenly be given acres and acres of an open day and yeah. writing I mean I've, I don't think I've ever written quite so much <laughs> first drafts have been great and everything's been really well oh, fantastic. So, yeah. I'm sure it won't last it's an eye opener isn't it it is <laughs> I can't well, imagine how you guys have coped with it really well so. people have had a lot you know I've had to type on a computer when I've found the time other people have had to like go and do proper jobs <laughs> Where, where you where you catch where you can catch COVID nineteen quite easily. Well, yeah, so, uh, I say I've been able to work from home and yeah. continue doing my job, and my kid is old enough to just kind of get on with her own home learning, really. Mm-hmm. So you know, when when she was at home, she's gone back now. She had timetabled lessons, and she just got on with it. So I do yeah. fully appreciate that I have had it easier than uh, the most. Yeah. 
But well, she's back weird. at school now. Hey! It's weird considering what you what we're talking about program-wise, because one of the things about all these disaster movies and real-life disasters like COVID nineteen is who you are and what your personal circumstances are when the asteroid hits, so to speak, mm -hmm. when the thing happens, when mm. you know, when the atom bomb drops. <laughs> what he, what you're doing in that period of time is like a snapshot, and you've got to deal with it, and. It's like, you know, don't be old <laughs> when the end of the world comes. Yeah. <laughs> don't be a little kid. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, well, it makes us count our blessings, I, I, yeah. if nothing else. It does. Yeah. No, so. no. I mean, I, I've been saying this is a COVID-19 thing. I've been saying since the beginning, imagine if this was actually a bad plague. I know it's pretty bad, but imagine yeah. if it was... If it the was, plague. Even, even if it... Well... But imagine even if it was just SARS or mm -hmm. something that had got out, that killed a lot of people, where it was yeah. allowed to spread. And imagine, you know, imagine if it killed children. It doesn't kill children. So, yeah, you know, yeah. there's there's many blessings even within COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. And, and, but it's, and, and, and as Contagion and Survivor show is, they, it could easily, easily have dealt as this blow unprepared yeah yeah uh, and you know no nobody was prepared uh except people <laughs> that already had SARS and so you could see COVID-19 as the biggest blessing ever because it's been a shot across the bowels definitely yeah. say for the two million people <laughs> that have lost their lives but yeah. but yeah. yeah um I've been saying from the start that you know <clears throat> as horror fans we we are kind of forearmed against this kind of stuff because we know it could be a lot worse um, <laughs> but at the same time that's also why I've kind of avoided tried to avoid specific kind of post-apocalyptic plague type horror because I didn't really feel in the mood for it in, in, in recent times but mm. I forced myself to look at these because I wanted to see if I'd still enjoy them anyway we'll, we'll get on to that in our main discussion Stella I believe you have some news you'd like to talk about I do. Um, so I wrote a chapter for an edited collection. The collection's called Global TV Horror. It's edited by Stacey Abbott and Lorna Joa, and they're like some of the best academics in the world when it comes to horror and specifically TV horror. And I've written a chapter in it about the global spread of The Walking Dead, incidentally enough. Um, mm -hmm. And that's it's coming out this month. So it will be available by the end of the month. And I suspect it's going to be in hardback, so it'll be ruinously expensive. So it's probably only for colleges and universities to cough up for. But that'll be out this month. So that's well exciting. It's going to have an electronic form that we can access via academic websites. Yes. Yeah, it'll be an e-book. And things like that. I can read it then. Yeah, you can read it. But I'll, yeah, I'll get a copy, hopefully sent to me <laughs> soon. But I'll insist that our university gets hard copy in as well so that every time i'm in the library i can point to it <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice but yeah so that's very exciting i think i wrote it about two and a half years what ago. we used to do when i was a student we used to sort of whisper and go he's in here again seeing if anyone <laughs> checked his book out <laughs> <laughs> well i'll be able to see that online now though won't i and we kind of deliberately didn't <laughs> well, well you know what going, i've read a book you know my my, it's, it's here. when I was at uni, one of the <laughs> units I studied was Hammer. Obviously, being who I am, and the, yeah. our tutor Jerry Kubro, I've paid tribute to him on this podcast before, or, or in one of the episodes that I did with with Howard, because 
you know, he, he did teach us a lot. But he had written a little book about horror in about 1980. And there was a hardback yeah. copy of it in the library. And I I never read it. And I don't know if anybody <laughs> did. And I don't know if it was available anywhere else. And poor Jerry, oh. he's passed on now. And I don't... And I, he's, <laughs> he's not only has he passed on, but the actual university library which was at Sheffield Hallam, has been demolished. Mm. So I don't even know if anybody no, no. would have rescued that book or if there was any other copies. Um, and, um, well, you feel should, sad for that book. You should um, definitely go and find out. As soon yeah, as get one. This, get Googling. Yeah, uh, I've never tried to Google him, actually. Yeah, yeah Jerry Kubro. Um, yeah, he was. Well, he was, he was lovely. We should, we should have a look. Yeah. Some horror books, like my friend Tony Earnshaw, um, who wrote, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote like the definitive account of the uh, Night of the Demon. Oh, right. and, and his book goes for like 400 quid wow. on eBay and things because mm. cause everyone who's got one wants one. Everyone who's, you know, everyone who bought one hasn't given it up. So yeah. they're not printing anymore. So literally the ones that are out there are, you know, to a certain niche yeah. audience because mm. it's a very good book. Oh, yeah, in fact, when I've tried to find books that have not been in our library, or is that okay? Well, I'll just buy a copy myself. And if a book's under 20 quid, then I'll get it. So it's quite like having books. But then sometimes you know, I'll go on eBay or Amazon to find an academic book. And then, yeah, it's like 100, 150 quid and up. But it's fucking hell. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> buying that. That's just, they're, they're just not getting cited then, are they? Can't <laughs> <laughs> do it. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. dear. It's madness. Oh, no, I, I always think if there are, <laughs> if if there's not an electronic version I can access via the internet, um, by the academic websites and then the portals. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, well, this one will, and mine will when it's finished. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And well done. Yeah, when, I, when I go back to teaching students, I'll make sure we always talk about the Walking Dead. It's a great, it's a great sort of leveler for getting lots of nearly every single. 18 year old has watched it yeah and if they haven't then i always start with analyzing the opening pre-credit mm. bit because it's an amazing like it's, a, it's an amazing setup for a massive you know so you, you know all the questions you can ask about writing drama are in those you know at the gas Grime, station Rick Grimes shooting a girl is basically all it's, of drama it's great but it's there's amazing. a big massive problem in it and every time i watch it it makes me Grind really, I watched. I must have watched it with my students about a thousand times. <laughs> okay. Um, Does but, but the little I girl zombie? The, the little girl zombie picks up a teddy. That's that's a major plot point. Yeah, but the zombies don't pick up tools or anything. Mm. They have no memory of their past. We go no, through but this. No, that's, that's the whole thing. Is 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 they kind of do. <laughs> No, those creatures don't pick shit up. They don't. No, no, they... they well, the, well, so the fact that the, this that, little girl... Later in the series, she they picks never up a do, teddy. do they? No, 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 well, it's it's maybe problematic, but in terms of analysing it as a piece, that <laughs> is the midpoint. In terms of structure, it messes with every... It's genius because it messes with every single person watching it because if you're a zombie fan and you know it's called The Walking Dead, you go, oh, zombies... And then she picks Teddy up and you go, oh, she's not a zombie. They've messed with her. Oh, my God, she's a zombie. And if you're not... But the zombie wouldn't pick a Teddy up. <laughs> <laughs> no. but she does because she's little and she's obviously only just turned. 
So it's terrifying. No, <laughs> it works. It works for me because they're the undead. They're the yeah, undead. Yeah, so she doesn't need a teddy. Just Dead. like, just like <laughs> in Romero. It's, it's a Romero world, isn't it? Just like no, it, Romero doesn't exist in this world. The word yeah, but, zombie doesn't but, exist. No, but as in, as in, <laughs> as in, as in, it's the rules as of in, Romero. As in, it's from, it's from, it's the George A. Romero type apocalypse. They're not yeah. fast zombies. They're George A. Romero zombies, and as his famously do, they go, "What did we do in life? We went shopping. What should we do when we're dead? We'll go shopping." So they do have residual. Also, it's a, it's, it's. I have no problem with it whatsoever because no, it drives, it drives is, me. That is a, it's, a, it's an amazing. If, if she didn't do that, <laughs> if she didn't, if she didn't pick the, if she didn't pick the teddy bear up, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work anywhere near as much. Uh, she's wearing bunny slippers. That's enough. Because you were watching it and you went, oh, she's not a zombie, and it went, ha, I got you. I didn't. I went, watched millions. Why of is she picking shots. up a teddy? <laughs> Because, oh. because she's only just turned. And then oh. and then Rick Grimes <laughs> proves he's the man for this world because he's a cop and <laughs> and he wants to help little girl, but then he doesn't he only doesn't really hesitate at all and shoots. He her. looks a bit sad, doesn't he? He's got, he all, he's got the perfect perfect Venn diagram of how to survive a zombie apocalypse. He's caring, he cares about other people, will shoot a little girl in the head if he needs to. I mean, it's what I want in a man. And that's, and that's, that's basically <laughs> what, that's why, that's why Rick Grimes is the man to follow it, through, through Walking Dead. And that's basically the first hour of me teaching screenwriting. Wow. <laughs> well, you've, you've <laughs> both made me want to go back and rewatch that sequence. Why, why that fight? No one's ever gone, zombies, actually, I think you're fine. Don't pick up any bears. I have. I've got a PhD. You can't argue with Star on the walking. I think goblins. Don't do that. Unless they're in Lord of the Rings, that's not canon. Zombies don't pick up teddy bears. But they don't. But this one did. Either way, you guys have made me want to watch that again. Well, all I saw was a zombie picking up a teddy bear. So therefore, even though it's unusual. A bit like, a bit like Stella. Yeah. When we see, when we see um, uh, Morgan's wife, she very much is drawn to the house where her son is. This is true, but she's so, still not know, picking so anything there, up. There is, <laughs> the, they, they, it's not the only, it's not the only inc- incidents of residual sort of behaviour. I'm still not having it. Zombies. There's one in just the latest one where a guy who appears to be lazy in life is also a lazy zombie because he doesn't get up. Then when he does does get sliced in the head, he sits back down like exactly like he's just been. (laughs) And I I remember, this is just literally the latest episode. I remember going, "I bet he was a lazy bastard when he was alive." So that residual behaviour is is there, and they established it in the first first frames of uh, episode one. Anyway, we've possibly talked about. First it's five ten past eight. Well, no, it, it's uh, it's we've segued <laughs> almost imperceptibly into post-apocalyptic horror, so I think it's all appropriate. Yes, somehow. Um, and uh, and I think we will be bringing The Walking Dead up. So basically, for this episode, um, the three of us watched the first episode of Survivors from nineteen seventy-five, which is about which is Terminator series about a flu-like virus wiping out ninety-nine point nine percent. I love that number, 99.9% of the world's population. Um, And we also watched the movie Contagion, which is freakishly like 
the COVID-19 The news. Pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, Ian and I, I think, both listened to the, the audio version of Survivors, which was released in 2014. Yeah. Um, did you get, get a chance to listen to that, Stella? I didn't. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> no worries. To be honest, you know, it's it just as we as, as we're explaining off mic, the audio version of Survivors and the TV version are basically the same as the the Walking Dead um, relating to Fear the Walking Dead. So right. you wouldn't necessarily need to have seen the first episode of both those series. Um, but um, I, I would like to to mention the the audio version. But Fear the Walking Dead. I know this, this is turning into a fit. This is turning into a Walking Dead podcast. But Fear <laughs> the Walking Dead. If you watch Fear the Walking Dead first, and you you've never watched Walking Dead, that's a wholly different experience. Mm. I would argue they wouldn't have opened Fear the Walking Dead in the way they did if we hadn't had six mm. or whatever seasons of Walking Dead. <laughs> Four hundred years sure. of the Walking Dead. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. the audio series of Survivors was had had to try and be, appeal to an audience who may not have seen the TV series. So therefore, right. it starts from scratch. Um, yeah, basically, the plague comes, kills everybody, and and uh, and it starts, you know, because it's yeah. The dramatic focus of the first episode of the TV series and the first episode of the uh, audio are different characters in different places, and I think they've done a really good job of linking them together in, in such a way that they both make sense on their own. But if you've seen one of them before, mm. it won't ruin the other one. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I, um, the word intersect, isn't it? They, they, they intersect. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just like in, I mean, you have to wait till season four with Fear the Walking Dead before, th- before people from Walking Dead. I mean, they're all spoilers if you say, even if you say they're going to intersect. Technically, that's a spoiler, isn't it? Mm, well, um, but I guess <laughs> people can quite easily see the posters of season, the latest seasons, and see who's on it. But uh, yeah, but, yeah. sure, the cast now, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But that's kind of the appeal of them. It's like they are totally separate in Walking Dead terms. But if they didn't intersect, maybe it would feel a little bit like you really are just milking us now. <laughs> well, <laughs> it feels enough like that as it is. Although we've, we continue to talk about The Walking Dead. I, li- I mean, I haven't seen it, but I like the fact that they at least waited a long time. To have those characters meet up in in the yeah, yeah. In Fear the Walking Dead because it's like it's a the post-apocalyptic world. It's a big world and they're a small number of characters. It's not like they just are bound to run into each other. Yeah, they may not have done so. It would be... and quite a few people have survived really in the Walking Dead. So, you know, there's it's a slim chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... that one's going to rock up in the other one, but they do. Also, well, that's all right. They don't know that they're in someone else's TV show. <laughs> yeah, we're only following them. They don't know that. Why? Why? Why are we so interesting? Oh, it's because that guy over there uh, is trekked here from Atlanta. Oh, it makes sense now. It's quite a trek, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, survivors. Well, yes. I thought. I thought actually, if we talk about contagion first, because just because yeah. it's so spooky, um, in yeah. terms of how like the current situation it is. a groundbreaking ceremony for a new factory. Did she mention seeing anyone who was sick? Anyone on a plane at the airport? No. She said she was jet-lagged. The average person touches their face three to five times every waking minute. 
In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, and each other. Matt. No, no, uh, uh, go up to your room, honey. So we have a virus with no treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. You had a seizure this morning, Beth. Yeah, she before. had a history of seizures. No, no, no. Allergies. No. As of last night, there were 32 cases. Unfortunately, she did die. Right. Can I go talk to her? Mr. Amos, your wife is dead. What are you talking about? What happened to her? What happened to her? Is there any way someone could weaponize the bird flu? Is that what we're looking at? Someone doesn't have to weaponize the bird flu. The birds are doing that. Watch this. It's transmission, so we just need to know which direction. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then 16. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're headed. They're calling out the National Guard. They're moving the president underground. People will panic. Get away! It will tip over. The truth is being kept from the world. Cook your samples, destroy everything. Hello. I need you to get me the names of everyone who serviced this room. It's an emergency. You can't panic now. I know. I'm gonna get you home. I got people too, Dr. Cheever. We all do. Don't talk to anyone. Don't touch anyone. Stay away from other people. Get back in your car! We're not sick! It's figuring us out faster than we're figuring it out. It's mutated. Until this podcast, I hadn't watched it, and I think it, um, whereas he, you, both of you had, um, I think it raises an interesting question about how do you define horror? Because um, to mention something Kirsty said in an earlier episode, she's not here right now, obviously. Um, she watched it and said it, it didn't used to be a horror film, but now we're living through it. Mm. It kind of is. However, mm. I, I, the reason I'd not watched it is because it looked too frightening. Even though I knew it wasn't supposed to be a horror film, it, it the, the 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 idea of a pandemic being depicted in very realistic terms is terrifying to me. And you know, obviously, just as much now, I think. Um, I mean, how, how how do you both feel about it in terms of? Well, I watched I watched it when it came out. And liked it, and it had that sort of thrill of, oh, it feels kind of real, but it's almost like, oh, mm. but this is the sort of thing that will never happen. Yeah. It was like, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, just imagine. And then you could mm. sort of, in the pub afterwards, go, yeah, people should do something about it. But all, And then you read up on all the stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's <laughs> like, but in your head, you go, this will never happen. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it hasn't Here we are. It hasn't happened. As we were saying before, it hasn't happened. But more by luck than by judgment, it tra- it's transferred from you know from a bat, jump the species, and it doesn't kill children, and it's it doesn't kill nearly as many people as it as the one in the film. The one and the, and it, and the thing is, it could have been contagion. Isn't like an exaggerating, you know. Those diseases, those de- those diseases exist, and by luck, we didn't get one. The point is, we should have known, and obviously, people 
a lot of people did yeah. know well in advance that this was going to happen. Something like this was going to happen, and we're very lucky that when it did happen, uh, it was wasn't a whole lot worse. It's basically like a wake up call. I mean, and we, we should we should say in case anyone's listening to this because I've known people who died from it. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, no one close. Thank God, but I've known people. You know, yeah. Kelly's lost people at work. You yeah. know, people have died, and there are. You know, there yeah, are hundreds I, of thousands of millions of grieving families. So when we're saying well, we're not making light of it, no, it's just oh my god, we didn't take the threat seriously, and just imagine if we got this first. Yeah, if mm-hmm. we, you know, contag- contagion, contagion's a it's a really well made film. I mean, so I love Soderbergh, and he's he's well when he goes into like with traffic and films like that. When he goes into ensemble ensemble networks of people that don't necessarily know each other mode um you know it's really kind of enjoyable and he gets loads of famous people into like do 10 minutes on screen Mm. little little vignettes and lots of different stories it's a really interesting kind of movie um and you know whether it's the drug whether it's the international drug trade or oil in syriana um in fact no i'm syriana wasn't soderbergh was it but that kind of movie um but um, but yeah, but Contagion's just I just I really enjoyed it at the time, and then one of the first things I did when COVID nineteen came along was everyone started talking about how it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we all that. watched it. And the thing is, COVID nineteen is like everyone's called it the slow apocalypse, and it is kind of like I've been kind of not scared most of the time, but that's because I've not had to go out like I was saying. I've been lucky in that I live in rural Cheshire. I'm I've spent my life on a computer before it and I was on a computer after it. And you know, my wife's an archaeologist so she's been going out to work which is actually quite dangerous compared to, you know, she's safe but the the uh, workmen on the construction site aren't safe. Right. Like some of them some of them not all of them obviously everyone's different but some of them are so ridiculously lax and stupid and boast about it mm-hmm. and then one guy who was really really good at not uh, you know his whole team would stand them down because the firm were trying to say they didn't need that many covid tests and he's the guy who got it and died so you know right this is it's a you know it's uh it is a but generally i haven't been that scared of it and every so often i'll panic and i'll go if I get it, I'm going to die. If I get it, I know I'm going to die. But it was weird watching mm-hmm. Contagion um, because um, at the time it was it was still doing the job of a fantasy that was way worse than real life, even though COVID-19 was happening. Mm. It still did that thing of, well, it's not like it's not like it's going to be like that. Then. But then as it's then as the years gone on, I've gone. There's lots of stuff in Contagion which is hopelessly optimistic. Yeah, like how quickly the pandemic passes. Well, yeah, but they seem to have a functioning government, and they haven't. <laughs> it was written. It was, well, it was. It was written in What's a time that? that no one could really envisage Donald Trump. Ex, you know, it would it, Donald Trump at the time was in idiocracy. It was that far removed from real life. Mm. Idiocracy, which was a really broad satire, that mm. was that was as close as we got to Donald Trump at that time. I don't know idiocracy. It's a fantastically broad comedy about a man who wakes up from cryogenic sleep, I think. And he's he's got quite a low IQ. 
in our time, and he's a genius in America of 500 years. Um, so everyone's IQs have dropped, and a, and a, and a wrestler is the president. Right. Uh, and and you watch it now, and it's like, no, with you know, Trump's got in the White House. Idiocracy is here. That was one of the movies everyone sort of cited when 2016 came along. <laughs> um, but you know, we still had, um, you know, when Contagion was made, we still, you know, oh yeah, China were being a bit shady. That's that bit hasn't aged um, badly because China was still a bit shady. But the idea that bunch of Americans would just do what they were told and and the and the response would be fine um and that you know we didn't it was made before a time when conspiracy theories had run riot through the internet mm. although it does comment on that yeah with Jude Law's character yeah. in some ways we're living in a scarier time and thank god even doubly we didn't get the disease they got in contagion because we're even mm. less prepared for it because our, our, we've been, our IQs have been shredded by the internet. <laughs> oh, the general dear. population's Bleak. gullibility and IQ has plummeted in these past five yeah. years. Mm. Uh, <laughs> plummeted. Oh, damn. But do keep listening. So can, <laughs> yeah, do keep listening. Stella, <laughs> what did you think we watching Contagion? Well, I, I watched it... Um, only about a couple of months into lockdown last year, mm. I think as like a, you know, when you've got like a, a sore tooth or something, you can't stop poking at it with your tongue. I think I was just like, I am going to watch that and make myself feel really miserable. Right. So we sat down and we watched it and it was like, it's two, there was two things going on. One, we were both enjoying it because it's a good film. It's, it's really well paced, I, I feel like. It rattles along really nicely and before you know it, you're at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we kept, we had to, I remember we had to keep pausing it. We must have watched it in, I guess, May, a time last year. But I remember we kept pausing it to turn to each other and go, buddy hell, how do, yeah. this is what's happening now. Or there's that bit where she, um, I can't remember the actress's name, where she stands up and she talks about the R rate. Yeah, Kate yeah. Winslet. Yeah, it's, it's Winslet, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she talks about the R rate and me and Owen were just sat there going, what? This yeah. is like just what's happening now, and then phrases like they talk about social distancing. Yep. They're talking about it's mutating. Um, you know the the conspiracy theory that it's it's a man-made released virus, and we were just like, eh, uh, uh, this is happening now. Stay home and wash your hands. Stay, stay, wash your hands. It's because it came out of you know CDC sort of war games and mm. and stuff. So all those phrases that we now know so well have existed yeah. in guidance. And yeah, we would do if. Yeah, but back so back in May when we were watch when me and Owen watched it, all these phrases were still new to us. You yeah, know, we, yeah. we'd only just learned ourselves what the R rate was. We'd only just learned yeah. getting used to you know two meters social distancing ourselves. Remember Kate Winslet released a video when COVID first started. Oh right, no? she kind of got mocked in some quarters for it, but she said in 2011 I played this character and I hung out with these people and they are heroes. And if they tell you to do something, you do something. And she started talking about the R8 and a few people went, Oh, cause you're an actress. We're supposed to take you seriously. Oh, it was a film. And so then I'm just a people, person with some information. Lots of us went, yeah, yeah. Tell us Kate, cause you're amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and she wasn't being an ass. She was sort of saying, take it seriously because I have, I have played these people and to play these people, I have, I have walked with them. And gone into wards and 
and sat and talked to them. These people and learned things. These people have been to Ebola. They've been to SARS. These are the people that get flown around the world to stop what's happened this uh, twenty twenty to stop it happening. Uh, And when it counted in real life, too many people didn't bloody listen. From politicians down to you know the twat I saw in the supermarket shouting at us for being cheap. For wearing masks, oh dear. just the other day. But just recently, he was, oh yeah, it was like a week ago, right. and he was strutting, going, "Look at you, sheep, sheep, bear," right. and he obviously was a bit tapped. But at the same time, loads of people don't, loads of people don't really want to be doing it, and they still even now have that. Oh, stop moaning! Mm. <sighs> That's yeah, rug if you vaguely vaguely act like it might kill people <laughs> i think what's bugging me at the moment with it all is people um i can't remember whatever day it is that <clears throat> pubs are allowed to open or we're allowed you know and everyone's like yeah we're all gonna go to the pub we're all gonna go do this and do that and i'm like why are you get gonna get this close you spent over a year in lockdown why are you gonna get this close to being vaccinated just to fuck it at the last minute yeah. and, all, and all start mixing like you can't all just go run into the pub you can't all go to reading festival for god's sake just <laughs> just calm down until everyone's been vaccinated no stop it just stop it or those that can be vaccinated i keep saying i don't want to be wilfred owen in world war one he was like killed four days from the end yeah. i don't want exactly. to be... you know it's the two days before retirement <laughs> somebody was the last person to get shot in world war one yeah, and you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, so it's just everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, it's my birthday. We're all it's, gonna go to put the pub. It's thirty five of to us. eleven. Like, five no. to eleven on armistice. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that is the analogy that I'll use next time. You know, when somebody's going, oh come on, let's come and do that, and I'll go, no, no. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> we'll see how that goes down. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting this close. And then just making the balls of it. I have to say, it makes me feel a little, a little bit uneasy when people are planning holidays and things like that. Mm. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. do, and we all want them. But at the same time, I think we're planning a holiday for January in our family, tentatively. Mm. You know, that's I think that's kind of reasonable. Well, it's nearly a year away. People can plan holidays, and now there's the insurance. They might not lose their money. so mm. So they can do what they want, but the fact is... They're only dickheads if they go when it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Planning a holiday and hoping for the best. I mean, I remember weirdly we we planned a weekend in Edinburgh, and it seems ridiculous now for like the summer. We just mm-hmm. went, oh, we've got to, we've had to cancel this, we've had to cancel that, but we're allowed to go now, aren't we? So let's let's book like two nights in a B and B in an Airbnb in Edinburgh, and we'll just take the kids to somewhere different. And and then my wife hadn't checked the check the terms and conditions of that airbnb person there were no refunds she's she's good like that um so (laughs) so not only did we cancel our summer holiday and lose the money um because it was booked ages ago to norway Mm. um Uh. then then, (laughs) just the weekend we tried to book just as a thing we then lost money on as well but anyway yeah yeah, so we haven't bothered booking anything but apparently prices have gone through the roof now because everyone's booking uh, so so, wait, so I won't be booking anything. I, no. <laughs> I I fully expect us to go back into lockdown, which is why I'm, which is why I'm making, I'm making hay while my son's at school. I'm absolutely going crazy with the right. I've got a brother who thinks that there'll be a third wave. 
Yes. I don't. I don't. I. I think. I think people have people have gone mad already. Um, and not, you know how many people have got the second vaccine in them? Well, the first, let alone the second. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think you know. Boris Johnson's done it again. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about survivors? Uh, yeah, yes. I just <laughs> yeah, something, something more cheery than Boris Johnson. Just, just to finish off on Contagion, though. I, I, yeah, I, Dan, I, what did you think of Contagion? I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I did find it chilling. I mean, the, because it is a film in which the vast majority of it is people sitting around in in rooms having sober conversations. I was like thinking, yeah, I can see why this is not a horror film. However, by the at the end, the the main emotion that I carried away was a, a sense of uh, you know, a chilling sense of implication. I love, I'm not going to spoil it, but I love the fact that at the end they kind of show you a sequence of exactly where yeah. the disease probably came from and it, and it comes down yeah. to... They, they, give us, they give us a God's eye view right at the end, don't they? Because yeah. everyone says we'll probably never know where it came from and then they give us the, here's a sequence of events of why, of why, why, patient, zero, why patient Zero, what she did to get it. Yeah, it basically comes down to one person not washing their hands at a key moment. Yeah, it's, it's basically a government information film now. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a scary thriller a few years ago. Now it's a government information film. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that the, 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 there's something in the fact that the pandemic in the movie is worse, but that resolved quicker. Like They do actually find the vaccine more quickly than we did in mm. real life. But then the rollout in the movie is worse than, than the one that we're going through, the rollout of the vaccine. It kind of goes six months oh, later, bingo. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And people bingo. are still yeah, yeah. waiting for their jabs and things. So. Well, we haven't. Let's not get too far ahead. I mean, well, touch what? Even even, even the even the government is saying by the autumn, the whole of the UK population will be vaccinated. Yeah, and that's that's what they're saying. So I'm budging that on to, are we going to be locked down at Christmas? Mm. So, or are we going to have another spike at Christmas because loads of people want to go and do Christmas, even though we're not quite ready yet? So, it's not. We're not out of the woods. No, no, we're certainly not. not. I'm, I, I'm not. I, I'm not hugely optimistic, but I don't want to be pessimistic for that far in the future. I'm hoping that we will have an, a nice Christmas. There's a long time to go yet, but yeah. But I think I'm hoping I can have a, a birthday because it's it's my fortieth this year. So I'm hoping that I can uh, see more than my husband. Right. <laughs> and he's great. But... I'm fifty next year, and I've had to do my I've had to do a friend's fiftieth on Zoom, and I was just thinking. Mine's mine's in February next year, my fiftieth, and I just thought, am I going to have to do mine on Zoom as well? Well, last in twenty twenty, I lost count of the amount of forty this forty this because you know you got mates all the same age. Yeah. There was loads of fortieths last year, and Owen's fortieth was it's the fourth of April, so it was only two weeks into lockdown last year. So it was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Mm. And we did many many Zoom parties over the year. I know. Well, I remember. I remember when my school friends were. We were all forty nine years ago. And <laughs> we just didn't stop. It was like it was like having a million weddings to go to. We yeah. didn't stop travelling up and down the country. Yeah, that's what we thought was going to happen last year, and then because that's the year, and that's what next year is going to be like. Or oh. we're all going to be on Zoom. So we'll, uh, yeah, because all the all the birthdays are kicking in. Everyone's going. We're all forty nine. Fingers crossed for next year. Mm. <laughs> But, Fingers um, crossed for August, though. I want a party, a small one. 
gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna basically just be drunk for a whole year. Yay! Traveling around <laughs> the country, having being fifty and not being under COVID nineteen. Hopefully, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I'm 40 in June, and I think it, it's very optimistic that things will have settled enough for us to do anything. But my sister and I, my sister is, uh, my sister Ruth is 60 a couple of weeks after I'm 40. So we were planning to do a joint 100th birthday party. Nice. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> and, and we've booked a pub, but I, I, I'm not absolutely convinced it will happen. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, it's but the problem is, Eve. I mean, even if it's allowed it's uh is it wise yeah anyway don't worry we'll i'm, I'm gonna be very prudent on it well i know you will be <laughs> you will yes yeah. yeah there's gonna be all the people it's everybody else um involved yeah. so we've we've only got half an hour or so so let's move on to survivors <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is a mutant virus jenny and not yet identified and with the speed this thing is traveling we have no way of stopping The city is like a great big pampered baby, with thousands of people feeding it and cleaning it and making sure it's all right. If the death rate keeps accelerating at this speed, we're not going to be able to bury our dead. There could be cholera, typhoid, and God knows what else. Anyway, we're all right living in the country. They're dying, David. There's nothing I can do to help them. They'll find something, won't they? They'll find a cure. They're not going to let millions of people die. In every disease, there are certain people who seem to have a, well, it's a natural immunity. What you call the stockpile of things will merely give us a little breathing space, perhaps several generations, but in that time, all the old crafts and skills must be learned. We must learn. The person among us who's not seen it before is Stella. So hey. I want to ask you, Stella, what were your impressions? Basically, by the way, listeners, we're only talking about the first episode of Survivors. Because the first episode of Survivors is where the plague happens that wipes people out. The rest of the series mm. is entirely surviving after the plague. So I, I didn't think it was really relevant in this situation. Um, but I wanted <laughs> to introduce it to um, to Stella and to other people. You still see people catch the plague, though, in a future episode, don't you? You do, you do, because it's yeah, yeah. The, just because it kills everybody doesn't mean the disease goes away. It just means no, no, there are so less people few... that go... All those smug people who went and isolated and then they all die <laughs> because cause they, they realise they haven't had it. Oops, we thought everyone had had it. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, spoilers, there's an episode where they find a colony of people who are all healthy, but the people don't stay healthy for very long. They look, they look like a, they're like a smug folk band, so <laughs> I was happy that they died. <laughs> so anyway. They're all wearing knitwear and being all smug about growing their own. And they die. <laughs> so, Stella, this is Good. the second time I've introduced you to an hour of mid-70s dated TV <laughs> horror. What do you think this time? I think even, I mean, because Contagion, realistic to our situation now to a degree, but, you know, obviously wildly inflated. And I think it's even more so with Survivors. There's lots in it that is kind of recognisable to our situation now. But again, it's more inflated with the, you know, what is it, 99.9% of people get it, you know, cark yeah. <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but it was still, you know, their their fears, should we go and get our son from school? Should we stay here? We'll probably be all right in the country. You know, the city's a mess. All that kind of stuff is like, yep, yep, recognisable. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, mm. And I just found it very... Um, 
uncanny in a way, I suppose, because it was. It's got a feeling very much in the 1970s TV drama, where it's quite stilted and very 70s. And you know the bit <laughs> where she's making him a fry up for dinner. You know, breakfast for dinner. With the amazing line where he just says to her, "Are we going to eat?" And she goes, oh, sorry, I'll get... Well, he says, oh, she's cooking and she puts his dinner down and he says, oh, you're not eating. And she goes, oh, no, no, I'm just going to have some cheese. And then she just sits down with a massive whiskey. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that, well, that's how she's staying so thin. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, she, wife, wife, good wives don't eat. Um, so that was funny. And then when she picks him up from the train station and she's like, you must be exhausted. And he said, I'm too angry to be exhausted. <laughs> yes, that made me laugh. <laughs> So there was loads of quality seventies <laughs> lines in it, which are really interesting. Feels like my childhood. It's really enjoyable. That's um, how people were. And if I didn't, if I didn't have more work to do, I would, I would have carried on watching it and watched the next episode because it, it was, it was good. And I was also enjoying um, the lass who was just walking through the countryside. Mm. How she chose a blue furry coat with <laughs> yes. which to embark on her post-apocalyptic adventure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was really good, and it was very um, that sort of understated spookiness because you don't see anything. People got a few people thrashing around in a bed, looking a bit sweaty. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was really sort of felt nice and slow burning and, and uncanny. Did it did it remind you of Barty's Party? Definitely, I think it was just it was it was just the actors like the 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 couple in the in the big house. Yeah, um, you know, it's like the same. Same middle class, same accent, same you know dynamic going on between those two. But I just yeah. one one last point is um, I did make a mistake of reading the comments on YouTube, um, and lots of it was people going, uh, "Who who else is here because of COVID? Who else is here because of COVID?" So all the comments on the top were from 2020, all right. and in the comments there's quite a lot of um, chi- uh, you know anti-China racism. Oh. So I would. Uh, Take caution if you're going to look at the comments right, on yeah. it. And we're speaking on the day when there's just been that shooting in Atlanta as well. So, Is there? Oh, I didn't know about that. that. Oh, there's been anti-Chinese massacre in Atlanta. Oh, God. Oh, no. oh, Come sorry. on, America. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Um, eight dead, I think. Yeah. Anyway, this has been a really cheery podcast. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I really liked it and I'm going to watch more. Cool. It's another, it's another example of things that Contagion was a massively optimistic movie. It shows yeah. it shows the best of humanity, and sadly, reality is, you know, as we've seen <laughs> today, as we've seen with Donald Trump going on about Kung Flu, which has led yeah, to... Yeah, that's in the today. comments on the YouTube. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's, you know, in reality. And even, even can, I don't know. I wonder if it's an American thing, as in uh, e- even a Soderbergh movie, which is kind of realistic and a bit grim, is still very much on the optimism. And when you've got Definitely. 1970s Terry Nation, it's like, what's going to happen if there's an apocalypse? Well, loads of angry people are going to get guns. And we go tribal and, uh, and there's, there's hardly going to be any goodies because you hardly meet any goodies as you go. I've watched... I mean, you've watched it all, Dan. This is this is very much your area, but oh, yeah. I watched. I when when I first got BritBox, I watched the first ten, I think, of Survivors, and it got a bit samey, to be honest. It does. But I will go back. Not, I will go back to it. Not every episode <laughs> is great, but every yeah. now and then there is an episode so powerfully dark 
that you just go, yeah. whoa. In fact, I suspect that you may have seen a really dark one and then stopped because that's what happened to me the first time I tried to watch it. There's a really... No, I, I'm, I'm not like you, Dan. If I see one like that, I go, ooh, I wonder what you've been. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get put off. I've, 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 spent, I've, spent my, I've spent COVID-19 watching Threads and The Mad Death. Fair enough. And, uh, okay. and Daily Triffids again. So I've gone, yeah. Okay. So I... If I'm feeling bad, I put on Nick Drake. I believe you. Okay, so did you see the episode where they have to put someone on trial? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think. I just, I think I saw that and then went, okay, enough for now. And I didn't watch the rest of the series for a few years. Yeah, yeah, and but... contag- contagion, has, contagion has got has got hardly any, you know, it's almost like it was written by people that were going, oh, this is going to happen at a time when, uh, yeah, we've, our gun laws have been improved and, like, no one's got guns anymore. And uh, and there'll hardly ever be any civil re- unrest about anything, and uh, you know. Although there are riots in Contagion, tiny, tiny amounts. In the pharmacy, uh, you know. But we're living in a, we're living in an age where if you know, just COVID nineteen has caused the capital to be stormed. Um, obviously, not just COVID nineteen. No. We're, we're living in an age where that has happened, and can you imagine if there was actually something bad happening? You know, worse. Mm. COVID. They can't cope with COVID nineteen. Mm. There's a there's a line there's a line in it's, it's weird as well because it's so it's so it's so optimistic contagion the line that kept coming up to me when I rewatched it was from that masterpiece Die Hard is it four point I think it's four point it's one of the really bad ones anyway and, um, <laughs> but but there's a comment in it because it was made not long after Katrina I love four point and so the threat in, the threat in it is basically. Is basically, oh, this could really scramble. This would really mess up American society because it will cause disruption. And and he's like, and somebody says, well, that won't be so bad. And he goes, and he just goes, dude, it took them three days to get water to the Superdome. Um, and I always, think, I always think that's a really good line because mm-hmm. it did in in a in a one little disaster in New Orleans it took them three days to sort out who was sending water to the Superdome. Which right. was full of people who didn't have water, because America doesn't work. And what have we seen mm. <laughs> in COVID nineteen? It doesn't work. I saw a brilliant thing on Twitter saying COVID nineteen is, you know, because it's exposing every society's failures and strengths, strengths and failures. Uh, and he said it's basically a black light shining into a room. And uh, unfortunately, America America is a cum-filled motel, cum-filled motel room. Because <laughs> just there's just sticky. There's just grimness <laughs> everywhere. Oh, there's dear. grimness everywhere. But uh, but yeah. So so Contagion was fun. But I think actually the more realistic, the more what? relentlessly grim is. Uh, is is survivors well it's certainly bleaker i'd like to read you both something a few years ago i i was supposed to be reviewing an episode of the audio series of survivors and i ended up not i wrote this but then cut it from the review because basically i realized wait a minute you're right this isn't a review this is an essay about survivors you're writing here um because I, i it's so powerful to me and I just wanted to sum that up so I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs. I'm a sucker for post-apocalyptic fiction. 
There is such a vivid thrill in watching everything in the world that we've come to take for granted nightmarishly torn down, followed quickly by a combination of outright horror as life-threatening events become a daily occurrence for the few lucky enough to make it through the cataclysm, and a renewed appreciation for civilization as small human achievements suddenly achieve an epic significance. Often this thrill is augmented by the presence of a monstrous threat that either causes the apocalypse, rises up following it, or both. George A. Romero's flesh-eating zombies are perhaps the most obvious example, John Wyndham's Triffids possibly the most elegant. Terry Nation's Survivors does not take that approach, and is all the more fascinating for it. A few years ago I found myself in a deep, even for me, apocalyptic binge, imbibing multiple end-of-the-world narratives at once, watching The Walking Dead, reading F. Paul Wilson's Adversary Cycle, even working in a scream park where, as a miscellaneous ghoul, I got to wander through a zombie-infested wasteland, looking for tourists who wanted their picture taken with me. But, gripping though many of these frolics often were, None of them affected me as much as survivors. In survivors, a flu-like virus quickly and mercilessly wipes out 99.9% of the world's population. In Britain's home counties, a small band of naturally immune survivors, not one of whom knew any of the others prior to the pandemic, are confronted with what I found to be more chilling than any amount of zombies, triffids, or Lovecraftian hellspawn. Simply a terrible terrible quiet and the other humans who had been changed by it i think therein lies the the appeal of survivors but also it's sort of built in it's almost the reason it gets a bit samey it doesn't have zombies and it doesn't have triffids yeah oh that's true yeah so it's uh but even even day the triffids gets a bit samey um, yeah, and it's quite short. And, yeah. and I guess, I guess, um, I guess, Walking Dead maybe gets a bit samey, um, but because <laughs> it's exciting and they're zombies, we yeah. keep watching because it's whizbangs. Although, as I was saying off mic, the latest Walking Dead, I've not finished watching it for the first time ever, ever. I've, I, I'm a sucker for like you, Stella. I've literally watched anything that's Walking Dead. I haven't got bored of it yet. And I got bored (gasps) of the latest episode. And I was like, oh my God, I might have had too many zombies. Or is it that they were the two most boring characters and they put them together for some reason? So uh, Uh the, oh God, I can't remember his name. The the priest, Gabriel, Gabriel, and the guy with the spiky arm, who's gay. I know what you mean. But do you know what I mean? They're... They're the two most boring characters for my money. Yeah, they're too nice. They're dull, and, and yeah, it's a two-hander with them. So whose idea was that? Right. Do you think they're just not really popular with the rest <laughs> of the like, Let's stick them off, because oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> we, we're going to be locked down. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing a two-hander with him. No one wants No one wants to do a two-hander with either of them. They can, they can, uh, they never get picked for sports. They can, uh, <laughs> they can do it together. But yeah, so yeah, so I found it intensely boring for the first time ever and stop watching so see what you think so uh well that's a shame but i I, i've i've been i'm gonna skip a few seasons of the walking dead but i I think stella recommended i i join in again at season nine so i'll I'll do that 
Um, Season nine pulled it but back. I'll keep my eye out. For I'd that also, after. I'd also, I'd recommend Fear the Walking Dead over Walking Dead. Uh, as well. well, that's another conversation. I've watched the first season yes. of Fear the Walking Dead, and I didn't love it. Um, so I'd love to talk about that sometime. It, it, the first few episodes are great, um, but with Survivors, uh, yeah, it does get samey very quickly. Um, like the third episode is already quite dull, I think, or maybe the fourth. <laughs> um, but throughout the whole season, throughout the whole three series they made of it, there are great and really dark episodes, even going straight up to the end. And then, this is the other major thing I wanted to mention. In 2014, Big Finish Productions started doing an audio version of it where they um, basically picked up the narrative. They didn't just pick up the narrative of the, of the original TV series. They they reinvestigated that world where the pandemic had happened in 75 um, and, and produced a series where all the actors are doing very effective mid-70s BBC type performances. It sounds appropriate. We regret to announce that Parisian Airways Flight 305 to Charles de Gaulle has been cancelled. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. We assumed an incubation period of five to seven days, followed by a fever lasting anything upwards of 24 hours. Beyond that, well, we're only starting to see that now. Sorry, Mr. Redgrave. They're dead. This whole family, they're not breathing, not moving. But I got better, didn't I? I got better, so they, they, they should have got better too! We made the world so much smaller. Thought we were so clever. Nobody ever thought what would happen if it suddenly got big again. This is Dr. James Gillison. Can anybody hear me? Well, when the plague came, I was in Holland. When I flew back, came down the coast, I saw enough to know that what we've experienced in Britain is likely to be the same across the world. You know what the towns are like. There's disease. I haven't spoken to anyone for days. I'm Jenny, by the way. Jenny Richards. It's a matter of survival. Survivors. Ian, you listened to the first episode, didn't you? Which is kind of... It's the the fall of civilization seen through the eyes of some other characters. It doesn't have any direct yeah. crossover with the first episode of the TV series, but there's clear... They've put clear thought into... The links between the two, like um, I th- I think that the audio episode one takes place a few days, I guess, before the TV version. And in the TV version, somebody does say, "Oh, there was a towards the end of the pandemic, they did announce a state of emergency, but it's it was already too late by then." And in the audio version, that happens. Yeah, because in um, because in the TV series, obviously, we pick up as people come out of the city her husband comes back oh it's all going a bit crazy back in the city i'm just too angry to speak <laughs> um too angry to be tired speak and, um, <laughs> uh but yeah so it's 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 how it would be the city's fall first and then mm. you're safe you're safe in the countryside for, comparatively. for a while um but but yeah but they i was i you know i was listening to the uh the interviews 
as well uh the big finish did on the first episode and they were they were saying uh they were saying which i sort of picked up on anyway that they sort of deliberately did locations that you wouldn't that they didn't have the budget for in 1975 so it's at an airport yeah with massive you know what what would be massive cast a cast of extras required loads yeah. of, and and actually probably quite grim for you don't see many bodies uh in in the show in the no but in this you basically you have a whole airport of dead people yeah you know nice. everyone there's got the plague and 99.9 percent of them die so presumably there are bodies all and they make reference to the fact that they've been moving bodies to the other rooms and mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of grim in that way and then you have a massive I guess walking dead style tra- uh, walking walking dead style traffic jam of people trying to get out of the city and that kind of thing and mm. and uh, yeah so it's deliberately a m- lot more of an urban experience which is weird I know we've talked about Walking Dead too much but it's a bit it's, it's like that was the same decision that Fear the Walking Dead made they went where where we we didn't show the apocalypse before and it was kind of rural and so yeah. what we did with Fear the Walking Dead was L A it's like the L A city of the spectrum L A Imagine being in LA when it kicks off, and riots—that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to mention the the audio version of Survivors because I I have listened to all of it and I, and I think it's really great. It fixes, it takes all the the really strong stuff from the TV series and fixes the problems with it, like the fact that the the lead character in the first episode is Abby Grant, played by Carolyn Seymour. And although I, when I watched it again, I did laugh because I think basically the first episode is built around three or four really chilling conversations, and I suddenly realised there's a lot of a lot of those conversations have the quality of mansplaining. So there's like the the scene where the uh, the, the the one scene in the city where the uh, the A and E doctor explains to Jenny Richards, played by Lucy Fleming, who is. Uh, most famous now for being in Fleming's niece and controlling the rights to James Bond. You go, girl. She's done a good job of that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so basically he, the, the, there's a, the scene where that doctor, who's played by uh, a completely forgotten actor called Callum Mill, and I, I just look at it, and he's not really... He's slightly non-Caucasian. The actor was Indian. And I'm just, I just remember being so grateful that there's a sort of a non-white face in this and he's in a, a non-stereotypical role and he has this great speech where he says jenny just get out of the city and she says why and he says because if people continue to die at this rate soon we won't be able to bury our own dead yeah Ooh. and that that's there's a number of just lines like that in, in the episode which is just so thoroughly chilling yeah also at the time that was that was very 70s thing anyway because of strikes, because of power cuts, mm. so not the dead not being buried. They started building up in the seventies, right? Um, you know, the bins were the rubbish was all over the streets because the bin men didn't come, and and then in graveyards they had a backlog because of strikes and general four day week and that sort of thing. So all that's in the mix at right. the time that Terry Nation was was writing yeah yeah equal apocalypse and and they'd already seen society start to fray in the 70s oil you know yeah, yeah. oil crisis yeah, oil crisis 
yeah, yeah absolutely all that, sort of thing. that is all in there and what i was gonna say is that well the reason that i think that the episode gets away with so much mansplaining is that because the pandemic kills so many people all the explanatory men then die and and we're left with these fantastic female characters who have to pick up the pieces and i think abby grant played by carolyn seymour who at the the end of the episode does the amazing very symbolic 70s thing of cutting her long hair off so it's like i am now i am denuding myself of some of my femininity i'm going to take charge at this point and she's just ready for action great and that character sadly disappears from the tv series after the first series possibly because the well basically the producer didn't like the actress carolyn seymour who was apparently the most highly paid actress on british tv at the time i think she was worth every penny um, yeah. But the producer disagreed. She sodded off to America and has had a much more successful career in America, usually right. playing villains. Did either of you watch Quantum Leap? Uh, only occasionally. Nope. Okay. The first time I remember, she was really memorable. And the first time I saw her was she was playing a villain in Quantum Leap. You know, do you, do you remember how? Uh, Sam the the Leaper had like the character played by Dean Stockwell, who was like his genie-like advisor who would turn up. There was an episode which was literally called The Evil Leaper, where there was another Leaper who was evil, and Carolyn Seymour was her her equivalent of Dean Stockwell. And she'd basically just appear and say snooty, barbed one-liners in a a striking English accent. And I immediately (laughs) just thought, she's cool. Um, And then (laughs) discovered that this is where she'd come from. Anyway, one of the things that's great about the series is that... uh, Sorry, what's great about the audio version is that it takes away the, the, the kind of... the potential for dull episodes... Partly because the series on audio are much shorter. There's only there's nine series and they're four episodes long each. But there's a lot more villains in the audio series. There's a lot more dark stuff. They come across cannibals and things like this. But the major thing is that the the main characters in the in the audio do run into uh, the characters from the TV version. And Big Finish did manage to get Abby Grant, Carolyn Seymour back. So they brought her back into it. She's still fantastic. She's absolutely amazing, in fact. And Lucy Fleming's in it as well. Yes, and also uh, the other main character who's not in the first episode, Greg, played by um, Ian McCulloch. But they're all back in it, and all their character arcs are completed. Basically, Big Finish brought mm. it to a definitive conclusion. The last series they released was in 2019. Um, and I hear that it never sold very well, possibly because Survivors doesn't have a huge fan base. Um, I'm just here to recommend it massively to everybody who might be interested because yeah. it's so good. And, and all those episodes are still on sale at the Big Finish website. I think yeah, it's yeah. The, best, the best thing they've ever done. And also there's one episode in written by uh, Louise Jameson. Um, oh, wow. She's a regular in it. Uh, Ian's worked with Louise. Um and, I never knew she was survivors. And she she wrote at least one episode, and and you know she she um is always keen to explore kind of feminist issues, and she writes an episode where they they find a female only colony of survivors, oh. and um and, and there's which takes us into Tenko territory, uh, well, in a weird way. 
Well, she's she's writing what <laughs> she knows. So you know, it's a female yeah. colony in The Walking Dead as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oceanside. Oh, I I don't think that's one I've seen. That must be mm. later on. So I don't know who did it first, Stella. I have to say. I was going to ask uh, before we go, but I was just going to ask because um, I've watched I've watched the re- the 2008 remake um, on BBC, which got cancelled after season two, and I was a bit oh I could have watched one more season, but I suppose I'm not that bothered, and that's probably why it's been cancelled. <laughs> um, but it was all right um, with Julie Graham and Max Beasley and Patterson Joseph and Roger Lloyd Pack as an evil trucker. But in that, they start hinting that they know where the plague came from. And I just wondered, right. you know, it was an evil plot. Um, right. I wondered it, and I wondered, it's probably a spoiler to say, yes, if, it, if this is it. But does that start coming into the, the original Terry Nation vision? No, it never does. No, it does. So he, so he takes the sort of Walking Dead approach yeah. of, if we explain this, then that takes away the horror. No, mm. life's not that and, neat. And because you mentioned the anti-China yeah, yeah. sentiment, Stella, I should explain. Yeah, the opening titles kind of suggest that the virus probably came from uh, a laboratory with a, a Chinese man in it, let's say. Yeah. It's, there's no details, you just see the guy. Um, mm. But th- apart from that title sequence, you never hear about it. There's never any details. Whether that, yeah. you know, Whether that was really where it came from, we don't know. Yeah, so it, in, in, a, in a way, that's uh, that's a better decision on Terry Nation's part because as soon as you start going, it's a it was an evil plot by some people who wanted to take over the world by depopulating it. That suddenly doesn't feel very compelling, and you also know they're going to find a cure, aren't they? Yeah. Which is why they cleverly. I mean, we're talking about Walking Dead again, but they really cleverly did that with uh, Eugene in, in Walking Dead. Oh, I loved that that yeah. whole arc. Which is just so brilliant because I'm there going. Really? That is that really going to save the world? And then that sequence of The Walking Dead is fantastic, and he's a great yeah. character. Okay, yeah, season four is my favourite season. It is yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a cracker. Awesome. It's a cracker. Well, sadly, that's all the time we have on this episode of the podcast to talk about survivors. But if you're interested, my essay reviewing the the ninth series of the Survivors audio drama and its relationship to the original TV series will soon be published on our blog and there'll be a link in our show notes. Now though, it's time for our weekly phone call from Howard and the Bag of Death. Okay folks, it is time once again for the Bag of Death. The bag which contains every English language horror film that I, T.D. Velasquez, and my friend and co-conspirator Howard Whittock have seen in our lives. Which will we discuss now? Howard, hello sir. Hello, how are you? I'm very, very well as I always am at this time. How are you? I'm extremely well, looking forward to this. Excellent. Well here is the bag of death, I have it in my very hands. I'm giving it a bit of a shake and I'm rummaging within. And we shall see what comes out. It's interesting that the last three recordings we've done for this, um, I think I can let the listener know we don't do these one at a time. We do them in blocks of about four. Yeah. And every other film we've talked about today has been a Hammer film. So yes. what will the fourth be? It's fine by me. I love Hammer films. So. And so do I. So I have something in my hand, and it is... Murder by Decree. 
Tides. That's uh, an interesting one. That's an interesting choice, and I'm going to be completely open with the listeners on this. I have only just seen this film for the first time a couple of days ago, and I thought, right, that's got to go in the bag of death. So, um, Murder by Decree is a 1978 British-Canadian co-production, and it's a Sherlock Holmes film whose conceit is it's uh, pitting the great fictional detective against the infamous and uh, forever um, unidentified Victorian real murderer, Jack the Ripper. Um, and it's got the Christopher, the late great at the time of recording, he's, he's recently passed away, Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, and also the also late great James Mason as Dr. Watson. Whenever I see James Mason, Howard, I think of you... I can't imagine why. I just don't understand it. Why would you possibly do that? <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I love James Mason. He's one of my favourite actors. My memory of this is a bit hazy because it's a long time since I've seen it, but I think it's a really interesting film. I think one of the reasons I remember it is because it was on at Christmas. And when I was young, the films that were on at Christmas were always special. because always like the big films. And even now, when I watch things like... Um, Murder on the Orient Express or The Poseidon Adventure or, the, or Where Eagles Dare, I think, well, these were the films on at Christmas, usually on Boxing Day. These were the big films. They were so exciting because they were on at Christmas. And I think, and even someone like Breakheart Pass, which is a Charles Bronson film, I love that film. I think it's a good film, but I think it's because it was on at Christmas and it just it made it more exciting. And this film, I think, was on at Christmas as well. Uh, and so I remember it. And I remember seeing the book as well in Smith's and looking at the back cover and seeing all the people in it. So and was that this, like the novelisation of the film? As they say. Um, or was it the book I, that the I, film was based on? Because the, it was actually, the script is original, but it was derived from... Uh, a book that was written about theories of who Jack the Ripper was called The Ripper File. Um, well, it's, it's the old idea that's been done several times that the Ripper murders were not committed by Prince Edward, the son of Queen Victoria, who later became Edward the Seventh, but he was kind of involved in them, which has been done. I mean, wasn't there a big miniseries in the 1980s with Michael Caine? called Jack the Ripper, which had the same idea that it was the Queen's physician or something that was going around doing all this. Yes, and also Alan Moore's graphic novel From Hell, which was later made into a movie with Johnny Depp, I think was also based on the same theories. It's it's a, it's a famous theory of the time. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't, We'll never know who Jack the Ripper was, so... It's a really good film. I mean, you know, that's like when I saw this book, I saw the back cover and I all the people who are in it, because it's got this great cast of actors like... Um, David Hemmings is in it, and Genevieve Bujold, yes. wonderful French actresses in it, and Frank Finley, and people like that, and Donald Sutherland. Uh, so it was like a big production at the time. And the man who made this, Bob Clark, this really classy, elegant film, went on to make Porky's. Yes. Which is the sort of old crap you've ever seen in your life. Uh, although he also directed Black Christmas, which is our friend Spider Dan's favourite slasher movie, I think. Well, um, no kidding. So, yes, yeah. and and he yeah. also went on to do a movie which I've never seen, and and it doesn't have cultural impact in Britain, I think. But in America, it's one of the kind of key Christmas movies, the nineteen eighty four Canadian film, just called A Christmas Story, uh, with the great Darren McGavin. Oh, is he in that? I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. 
one of his when he died it was one of the things he was Kolchak as mentioned and this film what's it called The Christmas Story A Christmas Story yeah uh, it mentioned that as well, so it must, yeah, I think it's a much bigger film in America than it is here. But anyway, Bob Clark directed this film, and it's very classy and it's very elegant, and it's 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 obviously an expensive film. Um, yeah, to, people like John Gielgud in to sort of the cameos and stuff. It's and got it's a very to, distinguished cast. Very distinguished cast. It's a very kind of big production, uh, and but I think the best thing about it because I don't know about that theory of who Jack the Ripper is. It, it, it this film posits that idea that it, there's a royal connection. But I think the great thing about this film is the relationship between Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson. Yes. Well, I think. Well, um, I think that's it works beautifully well, and those two actors who are probably the starriest pair of actors ever. The most heavyweight movie stars ever to play those characters, I think, as a pair. Um, it really works beautifully. But why exactly do you like it, Howard? Um, well, I think just because they're two great actors. And I, I remember that scene where um, Dr. Watson, played James Mason, is, is eating his dinner, isn't he? And there's a pea. <laughs> yes. And he picked the pea up on the fork. He's rolling around and he can't pick it up. Uh, and then uh, Sherlock Holmes comes along and he gets the fork and he squashes the pea and says, there you are, you can eat it now. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> Dr. Watson says something like, mm, you can't do that, Holmes. <laughs> can't squash the filler's pea. Yeah. That would be as kind of that, you know, um, <laughs> and that, that kind of humour. That's what really makes this film Work. Sherlock Holmes can be, I mean, he's been played so many times by so many different actors, and we all have an image of what Sherlock Holmes should be. Uh, and th- this is kind of like making him a little bit less acerbic, a little bit warmer, and a little bit more sympathetic, and certainly Dr. Watson as well. And you can tell they're friends. Yeah. I don't know whether Tom and James Mason were friends in real life, but, you know, it's a very kind of warm friendship between them because in, in some Sherlock Holmes films perhaps in the Basil Rathbone ones you think well why does Sherlock Holmes hang around with this idiot much as I love Nigel Bruce it's like well why he's all he just gets in the way and he doesn't but in this film you can quite understand why they are friends and they're yeah. sort of like they have this kind of relationship and it's fair and even though James Mason is on the old side for Watson yeah. um he comes across not just as um, an affable character and, and also a kind of comic foil sometimes. But he is um, quite uh, able to handle himself. He goes into dangerous situations. He's practical and sensible um, and he cares about people. But he has his limits as well, you know. When um, Holmes is inv- inspecting the the bodies of of the Ripper's mutilated victims. Watson, despite his wartime experience and his medical background, he he kind of stands away because it's so hideous. He doesn't want to see. Um, and the movie's kind of full of of things like that, which indicate really dreadful happenings without um, without exploiting them, without putting them kind of nakedly on the screen. And I think that's impressive. It's a while since I've seen it, so I can't remember everything. But I do, I, um, I do remember sort of like Holmes chasing the two bad guys. And yeah. Scene there. And then there's a very long scene at the end where he's talking to John Gielgud and explaining everything. So I do, I, it, I do remember, I, I do remember, I liked it when I watched it, and I thought it's through. And I thought it's just a very stylish, classy Sherlock Holmes films. And even when I saw it years ago, I'd seen so much Sherlock Holmes before that. Yeah. The same. But this, I just this this. I had a slightly different approach, and it was just um, 
just just quite stylish, I thought, and, and quite. No, it is. It's really. It looks beautiful. There's a lot of use of, um, I think, model a combination of models and matte paintings to create the London skyline, and it's really uh, great looking. Um, the photography is fantastic. Um, it's really. It's beautifully atmospheric. It's got a certain claim, I think, because of the quality of the cast, yes. um, and and also the fact that it's so well made and it has the big budget and, and the, the literate script. It's one of the best Sherlock Holmes films, I think, although it's ironic that it's one of the ones that is in no way based on any of Conan Doyle's stories. No. And in fact, Sherlock it's Holmes. not even the first Sherlock Holmes film to feature Jack the Ripper, because that no. was 1965's A Study in Terror, which is a quite different film, even though it's based on the same idea, and even though both movies have... Frank Finlay as uh, Inspector Lestrade in them, which is weird. Um, yeah, he's a very good actor, though. Yes, he's he's perfect for that character. It's just odd that he plays it in two different movies with the same plot um, instead of in two different Sherlock Holmes films uh, telling other stories. Because um, Sherlock Holmes had been done a lot in the 70s. We had um, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, which is great. Yeah. Stephen. Yeah. And then we had The 7% Solution, which is not great. I've never seen it. I've seen some of it and it's not. I, I think I turned it over because I didn't like it very much. Nicole Williamson, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, there's and then one, this one, there's also the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes's smarter brother, starring Gene Wilder. I think that yeah. fits into that trend. Um, yes, I, don't, I don't think that's very funny. But, um, <laughs> the Hound of the Baskervilles, the Peter Cook Hound of Baskervilles, as well, which is uh, well, yeah. So, but then we're we're moving away. But I, I. I <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is, the other movies, even um, the Gene Wilder one, have a, a kind of strain of legitimacy to them. I mean, yeah. the Gene Wilder one actually has... Um, uh, it has Thorley Walters and... Uh, what's his name? As Douglas. Douglas Wilmer as Holmes and Watson. Um, you know, playing kind of straight versions of those characters, both of whom... Uh, you know, played those roles in other places, in other productions. In fact, there is a um, a kind of lost uh, 1976 TV version of the story Silver Blaze in which Thorley Walters played Watson with Christopher Plummer as Holmes. So, yes, I have about that, yeah. Um, so Murder by Decree is not uh, Plummer's first Holmes Um it sadly was his last one. But I think it's such a substantial film that I didn't leave it thinking, oh, I wish um, Plummer and Mason had made loads more Holmes films. Um, yeah. It, it seemed, Even though they're great, it just seems to do everything that you need, need it to do. Oh, and I think it should be mentioned, I don't know if this is true because it was told to me by our friend Ross and I don't know where he got his information from because it wasn't in any of the books I read or on Wikipedia or places like that, but he told me that the the scene uh, where Watson's trying to spear a pea, that yeah. scene was actually written by James Mason. Oh, well, I wouldn't um, be surprised. It, 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 it's a really lovely bit of character. I mean, I remember that kind of most of all. I, I think it's just wonderfully kind of... It's, just, it's funny, but it's sort of telling about their relationship and everything and about them... Uh, and he's such a great actor. And he's great. I've read his autobiography. And he's, a great, he's a very good writer as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he'd written that. It's not a film that's particularly well-remembered as much as some of the others. No. Uh, 
but I think it's um, maybe it is because it's it's done before. It's Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper, which has been done. So, um, but I think it's the best version of Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Um, it's a long time since I saw Study in Terror, but I, th- th- on one viewing, Murder by Decree, um, kind of made more of an impression on me. It seemed more successful. The the yeah. only thing about Murder by Decree which I thought didn't really work very well is the subplot about the clairvoyant character played by Donald Sutherland. He, yes, I did think that was a bit weird. Yeah, it well, just yeah. doesn't have a lot to contribute. Um, no. Although he looks amazing with his kind of pallid, drug-addled kind of complexion and and his stunningly ornate beard and moustache. It might yeah. be the best that Donald, Ple- uh, Donald Pleasance was going to say. Donald Sutherland has ever looked. In, not that he looks healthy, but it's an amazing visage. Yes, I think it's just he's there just to get another star name into it, really. To get Donald Sutherland into the film. Mm. Kind of because he'd be he'd be a big name then. So I think it's interesting as well. The uh, the, the film's kind of status as a Canadian British co-production leads to a kind of lovely open accent policy in the cast. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, Christopher Plummer is sort of doing a British accent, but no more than he normally did. I mean, he was Canadian, and he always yeah. sounded a little bit gentrified. Mason sounds English. Um, Sutherland sounds Canadian, which he is. Jean-Vier Bujold sounds French-Canadian, which he is. Um, I think a couple of the the, um, the kind of smaller characters, like um, uh, there's a key, a key character in it who's a prostitute called Mary Kelly, uh, played by an actress, Susan Clark. I think she was Canadian, and she does do... A Susan, Clark is a, Susan Clark is a Colombo murderer. Is she really? In a good one? In one of the early ones, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Oh, I must see that. Yeah. Well, so I assume she sounded Canadian, but she does do a Cockney accent in in the film. But I think she's the the only one who does that. Good actress, actually. Right. Yeah, definitely. So. Biggest she was. Right. Oh, fantastic. So, um, so I think we're both very fond of Murder by Decree. Um, I'd like to see it again because I'd like um. Again, now that Christopher Plummer's just died, um, and of course it's all about the sound of music, which is great. You know, I do like the sound of music a lot, and I think he's great in that. Um, I've never watched it properly, I have to admit. No, I do. I mean, people say it's sentimental or whatever, but it, it, it is what it is, and it's, it's you know, enjoyable, and the songs are great. Too. But that's what he's remembered for. Um, and some of these other films that he did kind of tend to get a bit forgotten, perhaps. Uh and nobody really mentioned this one. Nobody mentioned that he played Sherlock Holmes. He looks like Sherlock Holmes. You know, he's, he's, he's perfect for the part. And um, mm. it, it, it's, a, it's a very good film, and I'd like to see it again. And, I, and, and obviously a lot of money was spent on it, and it must have been a big film at the time. How successful it was, I don't know. But, you know, it, it was some, it's a big... Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's, good. it's a good film. But, and it makes me want to watch more Bob Clark films, but not Porky's. No, not Porky's. But... Or Porky's. Two or Porky's Revenge. <laughs> I, I don't know that Clark had anything to do with the sequels. He may have done, but he did. Somebody put so, those things together. Somebody <laughs> should be held responsible. But um, yeah. okay, so but no, I, I think pretty great stuff. And also, it's um, uh, it's got it's got a rather a good score by Paul Zaza, 
who um, worked on another uh, Canadian horror film that, that doesn't get talked about, but I think is rather good, um, Visiting Hours, starring uh, William Shatner and... Uh, Lee Grant, of course, yeah, yeah. Have you seen that one? No. Right, and no, it's very good, yeah. Um, it's it's worth checking out. And Michael Ironside, so... Um, all right, so that's Murder by Decree. Um, that that's uh, a wonderful film to to pull out of yeah. the bag of death this week. Thank you very much for that, Howard. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, it's good. Uh, we shall reconvene next time. It's time to withdraw a random film from the bag of death. In the meantime, my friend, take care. And you, stay safe. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, it's about time we wrapped up this episode. Um, it's been really fun to talk about, as always. Yes. Um, have you guys got recommendations you want to share for this week? I have. It's entirely uh, unrelated. Mm. <laughs> Wildly unrelated. Go for it. Um, but in my general uh, need to watch all things grim, uh, there's a two-part documentary by Christopher Spencer called Waco, Madman or Messiah?, and it was done mad in man. 2018. I'll say it at the time, he's a madman. And <laughs> it, um, it's got some interesting footage from it, and then they also sort of add in some, you know, dramatised bits to show what was what was kind of going on behind the scenes. Um, and, yeah, it, if you remember the story, you remember how disturbing it, disturbing it was. And, yeah, it's really good. It's really well done. It's quite sympathetic to the people that were part of the Branch Davidians, um, and they go back to the original, go back to the place, go back to Mount Carmel where it happened, and yeah, it's it's a good one. It's Does it go to Manchester? Balanced. To Manchester, where that guy's from. Yeah, well, because uh, well, it, it doesn't of, go to um, Manchester, but it does interview. Because um, as a as a thing, you if you liked Waco, End of Days on BBC Sounds, and I've just checked it; it's still still available. Is amazing, and it's a it's a podcast BBC did. I think BBC. Radio Five did it, um, but it 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 sort of with Waco coming down the track, it basically goes right back to the beginning, and so much of it was to do with was to do with a little weird commune in Manchester. Yeah, England. yeah. Well, he's he's interviewed in this. Yeah, in yeah. This, but it, it's, um, a really good, it's a really good podcast. I'd recommend to. Yeah, uh, I'll listen it, to that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's called End of Days on BBC Sounds, and it's eight episodes that take you all the way up to. All the way, you know, it's it's, to it's, that it's day. everybody all the way, yeah, all the way up to that day. Yeah, but just the really early days of you know when he oh, was I'll listen just, to that. Just a weird guy, and grim, being a grimmer bit the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it's a very grim subject. Yes. Yeah, anyway, and then I bought a big book. <laughs> Wake up right. two days afterwards. Uh, it says uh, one of the survivors. It's his his book, and it, it's like it's three inches thick, and it's like. That's my summer read. It's, it's also so linked it's, along with Timothy McVeigh and and general fucked up. He was there. He wasn't McVeigh. in. Yeah, he was there and he was hanging out outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a really, there's a really good podcast about McVeigh actually um, on BBC Sounds as well, which is which was chilling, chilling to watch, and they even did a new episode because stuff that they talked about just six months before. Those, some of those people were in the white, were in the in the Senate building during the storming of the Senate. 
Oh God! Yeah. And it all stems from <laughs> the Tea Party and the three percent, the three percenters, yeah. and the and and the Turner Diaries. If you know what the Turner Diaries, I are. I do know what the Turner Diaries. Yeah, are. like a alternative alternative reality that um, it's it's basically like dystopian fiction, but for people that are right wing fuckheads. Yeah. Um, and it's survivalists. You know, it's a survive. It's a survivalist race. Why race? You know, race war, wet dreams. <laughs> Very Timmy McVeigh murdered 190 people because of it, and and loads of people see Timmy McVeigh as a hero and a martyr. It's very problematic. And, and in 2016, they got their first president that they approved of. Right. That's yeah. that is America. Yeah, oh so, uh, talking of depressing dystopia. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> it's all linked. It's all linked. It's all linked. Bunch of great linked recommendations. Um, yeah. Ian, did you have any other recommendation you wanted to make, or does that cover it? Well, I was just going to say nothing to do with the horror genre, but I'm really enjoying Brian Cranston's latest on uh, Sky Atlantic now slash Now TV, um, which is called Your Honor, and it's a very, it's it's very good, but it's not horror in any way whatsoever. Although it's actually really quite grim. With uh, hey. <laughs> some, of the, some of the violence that's in it. So, right. raw hounds. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, my recommendation is going to be straightforward. I don't need to give any details. I'm just going to say there's the audio series of Survivors. And the reason yeah. I can recommend that is because the first episode is available to listen for free on the Big Finish website. So, I'll put links into that. So, cool. even if you only hear the first episode, you hear the end of the world. So, there we go. <laughs> And I'd just like to make a related recommendation too to British Invaders, the podcast about British science fiction television. The hosts are Brian Doob from Canada and Eamon Clark from England. Uh, they talk about more or less every British cult science fiction type series they can think of, one or two episodes at a time. And they have two episodes about Survivors, and then they have another two episodes about the Big Finish audio version of Survivors. And they manage to talk in an intriguing and interesting way about those things without spoiling too much of it. And I can say that because I listened to their shows about Survivors before I'd seen the whole series, or heard the whole series. Um, so if you're intrigued by what we've said on this podcast today, um, but you're still not sure if you want to check out the, uh, the series or invest your time in it, then I'd recommend those episodes of the British Invaders podcast and the links will be in the show notes. Uh, that's the end of this episode, folks. We're going to be back next week and it's going to be our final episode this series. We're going to have a few months off. We will be back in future, but we thought we'd have a last episode where Kirsty, uh, Stella, Ian and I will talk about all the things we didn't have time to talk about in the previous <laughs> episodes. So, yeah. thanks very and much for listening we'll this back, week. We'll be back when, it lo when we lock down again. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> Hopefully it won't take that to make us come back, but you never no. know. At least we know we'll have something to do if we do lock down again. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Every cloud. <laughs> That's silver lining. <laughs> yes, we are the silver lining of the pandemic. Only Yay. us. Oh. One day I might meet Stella and Kirsty in real life. <laughs> wow, imagine I'm that. Actually, it's weird. You just think, See you in three dimensions. How many people do I know that I haven't ever met before? Oh, count the students <laughs> you know. for me. 
Well, yeah. I have a couple, few hundred students. Well, mm. yeah, there's yeah, same here. Yeah. Loads of them. Yeah. Do they even exist? <laughs> oh, gosh. A whole different kind of anyway, psychological horror. Let's oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tor. Thank it's you so much. It's glitching. It's glitching. She's become self aware. Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, see you next week, uh, folks. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye bye. <laughs> you have been listening to. And now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by T.D. Velasquez, Stella Gaynor, Ian Winterton, and Howard Whittaker. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>